Hello, and welcome to A Nerdy Book Club. My name is Polly, and this week we're going to be talking about A Darker Shade of Magic. As always, this podcast is marked explicit, meaning I sometimes swear or talk about sensitive subjects. I'll have any content warnings down in the show notes. You can find us on social media by going to our website, Cauldron Cakes and Wine, because we are a Cauldron Cakes and Wine podcast, and we have all of our social media linked there. If you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, or feelings, you can find us on Instagram, and you can send us a DM, or you can go and email us at cauldroncakesandwine at gmail.com. Also, just a warning, there are spoilers ahead, so there will be spoilers for A Darker Shade of Magic. Okay, so a life update. My friend and I, we went to the Bridgerton Experience in Toronto the other night and oh my god, it was so cool. It was really, really impressive. They had live music, they had performers, they had all these interactive things. Like you could go and like bow to the queen and they had this like learning how to do dances and then there was a bunch of photo op experiences. And in between all of that, they had basically performers doing dances and it was actually like pretty steamy. You know, they like, the girl was like pulling off the jacket of the guy and they like kissed at the end. Um, and every time they do it, they pick a diamond of the season and the girl that they picked was incredible. Like she was just having her main character moment. It was so good. It was so worth the money. Like I didn't really know what to expect going into it, but I was really, really happily surprised. I, it was one of the coolest things I've done this year for sure. Okay, so um, in terms of a darker shade of magic, Uh, My dad gave me this book and he read it a while ago and he was like, I really think you would like this. So here I am going to read it. And I was like, I sure hope I like this. Um, But it was on my shelf for a really, really long time, probably because I didn't pick it out for myself. I struggle when I struggle to get excited for things that um, I don't find myself. I know it's a really annoying quality to have, but it's something that I know about myself. I love to find things on my own um, and I struggle when I don't. So I know it's annoying, but that's just a quality that I have. And so I've been meaning to read it for a really while, like a really long time. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to read it. And I cannot believe like spoiler alert. I loved this book so much. It's one of the my favorite books that I've read probably all year and I'm so disappointed that I did not annotate it because I didn't like I thought it I looked it up and I read about it and I was like you know what I think I'm gonna actually really like this book it sounds interesting but I didn't think it was going to be one of the like my favorite books of the year so I'm really sad that I missed out on that and it wasn't until like halfway through that I realized whoa like I am absolutely obsessed with this book. Um, So I learned a lesson there. I'm probably going to annotate every book for the rest of my life. (laughs) I just, a little bit on annotating, like I love the idea of being able to go back and read what I thought the first time that I read something or the, you know, like I, I, or I haven't done this, but I would like to go back and reread a book that I've annotated and kind of add more annotations to it with like my updated thoughts and stuff. Like I really like the idea of being able to like memorialize how I felt about the book, um, not just from my own memories, but also from, you know, like actual proof, like there's written proof that I thought those things. And I think that that's really cool. 
So let's jump into this book. The main character's name is Cal, and he travels between different versions of London. Cal has to use his blood to draw symbols on the wall, and then he transports between the worlds. We learn that there was a time where people could do, um, basically they could go between the worlds and um, they could use magic, but one world couldn't stop themselves and like fed on the magic. Um, that was Black London. Um, everyone in gray, red, and white London um, basically tell it as a bedtime story how it disappeared. I realized that this book was um, about a male main character, and I realized that I had not read a story in a very long time where the main character was a guy. And yeah, I actually can't remember what that would have been. Probably um, the songs of Achilles, maybe? I mean, all the young dudes and choices, do they count? I mean, they're basically the length of multiple books and are pretty well written, so I'm, I guess you could count them. Um, you know, I guess Heartstopper as well. Okay, so I definitely have, now that I've thought about it, but the majority of the books that I read are female main characters, so it was a little bit different going into this one. The start of this book had a lot of buildup for the system of magic, and it kind of felt like not a ton was happening, to be honest. Cal smuggles things between the worlds sometimes, and we learn that he has a brother named Rai, the son of a king and a queen. Cal has a symbol on his arm that is the sign of magic. Um, it's a magic spell that um, makes you lose your memory and they have the initials KL below. That's why he got his name. That's why they call him that. We meet a girl named Lila, and she's staying on a boat, and she is a wanted criminal. We see her kill a man, and he is trying to assault her, so she stabs him. Kel is trying to get Rai to work on magic. He can do it a bit with fire, so he tries to do that, but it goes very poorly. Then Cal is sent to White London to take a message. The way this book is written is very different from the other books that I'm used to reading. I don't exactly know how to put my finger on it, but the prose did take a little bit of time to get used to. Um, it's not a bad thing. It was just different than what I'm kind of used to. It was written a little bit. feels like it's like an older style of prose. Um, I, I was kind of laughing at myself being like, maybe it's just because the audiobook narrator is like British and had like a thick British accent. And I was like, oh, wow, so different. Can't figure it out. Um, but I do, I do think that there is something about the prose that does feel a little bit older. And I wonder if maybe that's because this is kind of in the mix of me reading quite a bit of contemporary romance. So obviously in contemporary romance, there is a lot of mentions of, you know, modern things, um, whereas this feels very different and like very much in stark contrast to that. I don't know if that could be the case, but who knows? Anyways, White London is a place that tried to cling onto its magic by possessing it. Because of this, they are all fading and things are crumbling. There's this dust that lays over everything. By night, it is um, a very violent place. And I really like the concept, but sometimes I knew I was going to have to like try really hard to remember which color was which. That was one of the things that I was kind of struggling with the most was to like remember which London is which one. 
In White London, the king is um, decided by who killed the last one. Seven years ago, three people fought their way to the throne, a set of twins and someone by the name of Holland, who is like Kel in terms of that he can do um, magic and travel between the worlds as well. The twins bound him so that they could use him. Basically, he has to do whatever they say because of the way that they used the magic against him. The twins asked Kel to stay for a drink, and these two twins really, really grossed me out, and they gave me a lot of anxiety, which I think is actually a sign that they were really well written in that way. They make Holland um, cut himself into a cup so that they can drink it, which is truly, really disturbing and gross. A woman approaches Cal and asks him to bring a letter to the last of her family who's separated between the worlds. She gives it um, to him and then disappears. Cal looks at the letter and sees that it's blank. He realizes that he's being watched and that he was kind of set up. He runs home and he gets there safely and then opens the parcel um, that was supposed to be payment and there's a stone in it and the stone has a tracing spell on it, um, and two hooded figures come and find him. Kel basically has to fight off these two figures. They have swords that um, when you're caught with them, you can't use your magic. I found a lot of the system of magic in this to be really, really cool and really compelling, and it as it as the world opened up more and more, I just found it so intriguing and I found a lot of it to be like pretty unique. And I think that's one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about this book particularly was that it felt like the mat, like the system of magic in it and the world building was very unique, which when you start to read a lot of fantasy like I do, um, you start to realize a lot of the same things that are happening over and over again. So it's kind of refreshing when you get to a point where you're like, wow, that's actually really cool and a little bit different than what I've been reading. And you know what? You might be listening to this and you're like, you know what? It reminds me of this or that. I personally hadn't really read anything that it reminded me of. So that's why it really drew me in personally. And not everything has to be super unique and new. Like I, I know that there's a lot of controversy and a lot of like, you know, some people love Sarah J. Mass, some people hate her, her writing. I personally really enjoy her books, but they're not the most unique thing in the world, nor are they unique from one another, and I still really enjoy those books. So I'm not saying that, you know, all books have to have this, like, really unique spin to them. Also, I literally just read the, like, I mean, this was a little while ago now, but um, I read the Thistle Grove, um, what the fuck, what was that book called? <laughs> Thistle Grove, um, Payback's a Witch. I read Payback's a Witch and I loved it and it was so much fun and it didn't really have the most unique system of magic or even the most unique concept, but I just really liked the characters and had a lot of fun reading it. So, you know, like there's nothing, I'm not talking down to like books that don't have a super unique edge to them, but I did really like this one because it felt like kind of fresh and it felt unique to me. So Kel is cut by this sword, which makes him unable to use his magic, and he's about to be killed, and then he yells stop, and the stone in his hand makes the men freeze. This was a really cool scene. I know my summary of it kind of glosses over a lot of it, but the magic that was being set up here was really, really cool in this scene. I, I 
honestly, like up until this point, I wasn't really sure about this book. And this was the scene that really hooked me in on it. Um, so Cal uses his magic stone to go to Grey London so that no one else can follow him. When he gets um, there, he sees a girl who we know to be Lila, and she picks his pocket and steals the stone. Cal finds Lila and tells her to give it back, and she knocks him out. When Cal wakes up, he's tied up, and he uses magic to get away. Lila asks what the stone does, and he tells her. She created a black sword with it, and... Um, basically, she creates a second Kel, and then Kel has to get rid of it, um, and basically, he gets the stone and he leaves. It was a really fun scene. Um, I really liked the dynamic between Lila and Kel. Um, we'll talk more about Lila's character um, as we get to it, but there are some things that kind of annoy me a little bit about her, but then it also does seem a little bit... I don't know. We'll talk about it when we get there. Once Kel is gone, um, she throws the sword out the window and a man named Booth finds it. He opens it up and he holds the handle and the black blade turns his hand black and then forces him to stab himself. He dies and then is reanimated with black eyes. Okay, by this point, I was fully into it. I, I cannot believe I let this book sit on my bookshelf for so long. I really liked it. Like this, this potential, this book, this potential was just sitting there unread. Oh my God. What am I, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> I was a bit confused about if this book was YA or not. The Goodreads categories were both adult and YA. So clearly other people were confused. It felt a bit older and the characters were older and there was some swearing in it. And I think that this is a good candidate for the new adult label. So I ended up Googling it and the author says that this book isn't YA. And it's funny though, because everything that I clicked to read about it said a different age category. Like people literally were like, this book is YA, this book is new adult, this book is adult. I'm personally going to put it into the new adult category because I think that it's just fair to put it in the middle. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, Who knows? <laughs> I was massively regretting that I didn't annotate this book, like I said. I mean, honestly, what was I thinking? Future me will never know my thoughts on what I read the first time I read this book. Um, I mean, unless I go back and listen to this episode, okay, it's fine. I'm, I'm going to be fine. I could also look at my Goodreads reviews, the Instagram <laughs> review I'm going to do of it, things I'm going to post on TikTok. I think I'll be fine, but still, I really, really wish that I'd made a smarter decision here. Lila goes um, for a drink and she meets Holland and... Um, he can smell Kel's magic on her, so he takes her and he makes her scream Kel's name and he ends up showing up. Holland starts uh, killing Kel um, with the stone, then Lila hits him with a metal bar and knocks him out. She takes him back to her room in the tavern and she lets him sleep. Kel explains to her about the four different Londons and explains that Black London was consumed by magic like the magic in this stone 
and they need to destroy it before it falls into the wrong hands. He says he needs to try and basically open the door to Black London to bring the stone to Black London. And I was like, okay, now we're talking. Let's get this party started. (laughs) Naturally, Lila wants to go with him. And I was like, yes, bring her. Of course, bring her. I love the dynamic between Lila and Kel. And I like Lila a lot. I find her to be very mischievous. Oh, why was that so hard to say? I felt like she was very mischievous. Oh my God. Okay. I'm just going to move on. (laughs) I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it feels weird. They have to go through the worlds to get to Black London, so they first have to go to Red London. When they travel, Kel and Lila both make it, but they end up in different spots. So Lila sees a parade with Rye on it, and he looks at her, and they kind of have a moment where they're looking at each other. Um, She finds out it's his birthday, and then Lila and Cal find each other again. Cal kind of throws Lila to the wolves here, and he doesn't explain to her that they speak a different language in Red London. He just goes there, and then she's trying to figure it out on her own, which honestly, that's kind of annoying. That's a pretty big piece of information to not give her. Lila has a bit of not like the other girl syndrome, which I don't mind if a female character doesn't act stereotypically feminine. Like, that's not the issue. It's just there are a few moments where she thinks that the other women around her are silly for fawning over Rai. And it's just kind of like, who cares? You know, like, I don't think it's wrong for Lila to notice that she isn't like these other women because she's not. She is different from the women in the society around her. And it's natural for her to notice that. It's the judgment that comes with it. That's the problem for me. I kind of hate when people say that a character is like, not like the other girls or that they're like, you know, like just because they aren't super feminine or they are artsy or something like that. I saw a review on the Daughter of a Smoke and Bone saying that Kuru has is not like the other girls. And like, I get she's an artist with blue hair and um, I, but I don't feel like she's putting other women down around her ever. She also has a very close female friend and To me, that doesn't fit the description of worthy, you know, of making fun of her or disliking her just because she's artsy. I think we've taken the not like the other girl's criticism a bit too far. It's become a bit of an overcorrection and it's become a way to almost bully girls or women that are maybe a little bit different. A lot of times the characters or even people who do get like coined this way are women who maybe are already struggling because they don't meet society's version of what femininity looks like. And I just think, yes, there is a conversation to be had here about not tearing other women down just because you are not like them. But at the same time, if that's not occurring, like leave those women alone, leave those characters alone, allow people to associate with characters Uh, like it's fine if you don't that's fine but don't like it's it's just like you're doing the exact thing 
that you're criticizing these other girls for doing. Kel tells Lila that he belongs to the royal family here. Then they go and find an inn so he can get like a trinket from White London to go there. But when they get there, it is burned to the ground. Then Holland comes out onto the street. Kel uses the stone to make them invisible and Holland can sense that they're there, but he can't see them. They see that they're missing posters with Kel's face on it all around. When Kel takes the spell off um, and then makes them invisible, they see that his arm is turning black where he was holding the stone. They go to a shop and they find something from White London. The shop owner calls the royal guard to come and find Cal, and he's taken to the palace where he talks to Rye and finds out that he has been possessed by Astrid. Sorry, I didn't mention the names before. Astrid is one of the twins from White London who's a ruler there. Basically, the bad people. Um, the bad people in this are written really really well they freak me out a lot and it's very it's very successful writing it's very like it's accomplishing exactly what you want it to do lila is able to get into rye's birthday ball astrid tells cal that um, she wants to tear down all the walls between the different londons and then um, her and her brother will rule all of them lila comes and saves cal there's a scuffle and um, they're able to save Rye, but he is wounded, so they have to take him, like, with them. I find the world building in this book to be done so well. I feel like it was very organic. Um, I only felt there was, like, info dumps in the very, very start of this book, which is a very, very common thing that happens in fantasy novels. It's not unique to this book, but for the most part, from then on, the world building is extremely organic and I feel like you're learning things in this really natural way. They take Rai into a chapel where they seek a sanctuary. Rai is dead and Kel uses the stone to try and bring him back, binding them together. After he's done, he can't drop the stone, which was very worrisome. Rai will be left in the sanctuary, then Cal is going to White London, and Lila demands to go with him because he was basically like, I'm not going to bring you with me. She thinks she's like going um, in case Cal is taken over by the stone, and we learn that Lila has one eye that's fake. She lost it as a child. I really like Cal, and I hope that um, he makes it out of all of this. <laughs> They're about to make their way to White London and they have to find um, the other half of the stone because part of it's broken off, but Holland stops Cal and Lila ends up there alone. Cal gets in this like really cool magic battle with Holland and kills him. Then Cal takes Holland through to White London with him. And I have to admit, by this point in the book, I was moving from liking the book to being obsessed with it. Like, this was going, like I said before, it's one of my top reads of the entire year. And this was the point where I was kind of realizing it. Like, this is going up there with, like, Lainey Taylor's books for me. This is, um, 
where I regret some of my five-star reviews because I will be like, wow, that was a fun book, five stars. And then I read something like this and I'm like, okay, can I rate it six then? Because this is like a million times better than some of my other five-star reads. <laughs> Kel goes into the castle and talks to the queen and king, uh, the twins, and no one tries to stop him, which was making me a little bit nervous. I will say that this book is, um, like I said before, it's very different from a lot of the other books I've read. The System of Magic was really different um, as well. The threat, the driving force is very different. It felt kind of refreshing, as I mentioned already. I know I'm kind of repeating myself. I apologize. You know, sometimes you just want to read an easy book and then other times, um, you know, you've finished with like your palate cleanser and then you want to read a book like this and this kind of a book makes me so excited to read. Like it renews my love of reading. Nothing against these like palate cleanser type books, but you know, like something like this just gets me so excited. And I'm currently reading Throne of Glass, the first book, and I feel like that book is um, like I can't put it down even right now. Like I did not want to do this podcast right now because I really wanted to keep reading that book. <laughs> I feel like I was having kind of a similar experience. Although, like I said, Synergy Mass books are not like revolutionary or groundbreaking or anything like that, but um, they're very addictive. Anyways, this was another book that was very addictive. I couldn't put this down. I read the second half of this book in one night. So Kel is fighting um, Athos, who is the other twin, and then Lila sneaks into the castle and she tries to kill Astrid, who is under a possession charm by Athos, and she wakes up just as Lila is about to drive a knife into her heart. This scene was so tense. Kel kills Athos, and back with Lila, Astrid takes um, Lila's form and then goes to see Kel. Kel takes uh, both sides of the stone and he fuses them back together and Astrid asks for the stone which she's in Lila's form but Kel kills her knowing that it was Astrid which was really confusing like how on earth did he possibly know that it was her? I didn't really understand that. Kel says that it's because she said please and Lila never says please and then says he just knew, which frankly is an unsatisfactory answer. Like if I'm your friend and you killed a lookalike version of me based off of that answer, I would be like, mm, I'm a little nervous to be around you. <laughs> Anyways, the magic is consuming Cal. He is in a world of darkness. He sees a man who looks uh, like him but is all black. The magic is kind of taking over him and he's using, um, he uses a magic word to stop it. Cal is able to use Holland to send the stone back to Black London, which I am positive we are not going to see the end of that. Holland was not like officially fully dead. That's why they were able to do that with him. And so I think that he is obviously going to not be dead. We're going to see him again and him having the stone is going to be a little bit, um, I think it's going to cause conflict in the next book. I think 
we're going to see Black London in the next two books. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. I wonder what the fuck is happening over in Black London. Um, it's probably still there, right? Like, I'm really excited. This added a lot of suspense to the next book for me. Lila and Cal kiss, and then they go back to White London. Cal tells the king and queen of Red London everything that happened, and it's wild to me though. I didn't realize this until it was pointed out at sort of the end of the book, but this book takes place over one day. So like all of this stuff happens from like morning till evening, which is wild. I I really like I knew, I guess now that I'm looking back on it, like there's no mention of days ending, but I just it was wild to me. <laughs> Cal and Lila say goodbye to one another, but Cal knows that he will see her again because she's a fixed point in his life. And Lila walks off and she goes to find a boat and she's going to go and see other worlds because that's kind of what she's dreamed about the whole time. Um, my final thoughts, this book is so good. It was honestly really, really bittersweet to finish it because I was really sad to be done it and, you know... I just, I was so excited to see how it ended, but I was kind of sad that it was over, and I just can't wait to read the next one. It's going on my list for sure. I loved the magic in this book. It felt so different. It felt, um, you know, it just felt really, really refreshing to read it. I love the characters, Kel and Lila. They are great main characters. I don't think I really want them to get together. Um and to have a romantic plot line, but it does seem like that's where this is going. I kind of wanted them to remain friends. I like their dynamic as friends, but I also get, um, you know, most books have a plot line that's romance-based, um, especially fantasy ones. Um, so yeah, like, it's not a huge deal if they do get together. I can see it happening. I just, I did kind of like them as friends. Anyways, that's all I have for this episode. I know it's on the shorter side. I know I didn't talk a ton about this book, but I did love it so much. It's just there wasn't a ton to say other than like how much I was just like completely like taken over by this book, how much I loved it. So that's kind of all I have. If you want to find us on social media, you can go to our website, cauldroncakesandwine.com, because we are a Cauldron Cakes and Wine podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, or feelings on anything I've mentioned in this episode or any others, you can find us on Instagram and send us a DM, or you can send an email to cauldroncakesandwine at gmail.com. I hope that you guys have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening. Whenever you're listening to this, I just hope you're having a great time, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.